0: Uh, with countries like india we have enough problems economically socially and our politicians are busy working those problems they're trying to bring in economic opportunities building infrastructure and i personally feel there's going to be a time lag before there's going to be a political will to take in issues of climate change seriously it's probably a 5 to 10 year spectrum we don't probably have the luxury of developed world of having resources to spend on climate change and uh, how does the panel think that this is going to influence? This time lag might be too late before we actually respond to the problem.
1: Yeah, Mr. Le- Dr. Leakey. Well, I, I come from, from Kenya, which is a developing country where not as developed as you are. You've gone much faster than we appear to be able to. I think we have to recognise that that there is a time lag. Uh, I think the time lag is is part of the recent historical baggage that we have with us, but I I do believe that that your generation, the younger generation, have got to recognize that even if there appears to be a time lag, the shorter you can make that time lag, the better it's going to be for everybody, because climate change is going to hit the poorer countries harder than it's going to hit the richer countries, and we simply cannot afford to say, well, we've been underprivileged, we've been um, set back by history, therefore we, we have a right to have a bit more time to sort this out. There may be that argument, but when it hits, it's not going to consider that argument and the impact of climate change on India, on Kenya, on other um, developing, emerging economies is going to be massive, and and the implications will be harder to deal with than they are in in, in the more developed countries. And so my, my plea is may your generation actually shorten that time lag as much as you can in your own countries.
2: Yeah, question over here. Could you identify yourself?
3: Yes. Uh, my name is Kate Sheriff. I'm originally from Boston, so greetings. is another Massachusetts native. And um, I'm coming from Princeton University. My question is actually very related. Um, a lot of the sticking point in the international negotiations um, for the United States about climate change seems to have been about whether developing countries such as China and India will be taking action in order to address this problem. And it seems that Americans have seen this issue as, well, why should we do anything if they're not doing anything as well? And I guess I feel like um, as an American, I'm ashamed of that because we have the world's highest per capita emissions of carbon dioxide and a much, much higher standard of living. So my question is actually mostly for Representative Markey on the political side. Do you think that Americans are are getting to the place where they're ready to accept the fact that we have a greater responsibility for this problem, we should take first action and try to be generous in understanding that other countries um, do need more leeway in order to reach that higher standard of living as well.
2: Um, yeah, Congress is a stimulus-response institution, and there's nothing more stimulating than millions of Americans um, uh, turning this into uh, a national grassroots issue. 160 communities in New Hampshire have now actually passed a a resolution saying that they want each one of the presidential candidates to do something about climate change this year. So I think the American people are far ahead of the politicians. I, I look at all these people running for president, I'm waiting for one of them to just grab it on one of these questions and to run because I think people are ready across the country to stand up. Uh, and to support somebody who gives the real leadership on it. Uh, so yes, I think the time has come, but it's already what the – it's called a valence issue where the American people get it, but the politicians haven't yet. Uh, and I think we're ready to see that change politically in our country, and it will happen, I think, as we get deeper into these presidential primaries in both parties. Yes, sir, over here. Good morning. Uh, Simon Quinn from the University of Oxford. We were uh, privileged a few months ago in Oxford to have a large public lecture by Sir Nicholas Stern, where he presented the main findings of the Stern report, and I was wondering if you could speak to the significance of that report and international debate generally in informing and influencing the debate in this country.
4: Well, I think it's just uh, one in a series that have come out, that, and it, 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 it maintains the momentum. It drives it further, and it certainly has had an impact. It's quoted uh, here in the United States, so I, I think it uh, it's – you know, there have been a whole series of reports that have come out over the last year or two years, and it's that that drives it. Uh, the turning point, of course, as the Congressman points out, is when you say that that's important and I want my government to do something about it. Yes, i yeah, I just, just want to Roe. weigh in a
5: bit because that is a, a, a very important turning point, a, a good summation, except that in keeping with Many of the other discussions about climate change right now there is this big gap of acknowledging the importance of the ocean, both in terms of protecting the stability of what's out there and that that great hidden monster, the the hydrocarbons the, that are in the bottom of the sea that are currently locked in place, the methane that's frozen that is already being released i've been 2,000 feet down in the Gulf of Mexico in a little submarine and seen bubbles of methane coming back up to the surface. This is a natural process, but a little bit of warming could accelerate the release of methane from the deep sea in ways that could very quickly exc- accelerate global warming. It's a feedback mechanism. Warm the planet a little bit, you warm it a whole lot faster if you release this methane from the sea that has a far greater impact on global warming than carbon dioxide, like 14 times more effective as a greenhouse gas. So somehow, while we're all becoming aware of the general issue, remember that the Earth is mostly blue and we have to think about the consequences of what we're doing to the ocean and how we can use what we've learned works on the land to apply in an effective way to the ocean.
2: We're going to take one final question. You have another phenomenal speaker coming up immediately after this panel. One final question over here. Yes, sir.
0: Hi. Thanks again for your panel. My name is Nikki Dutta. I'm a student at Princeton University. I had two questions, actually. Apologies for that. Um, Both are kind of questions of priorities. The first is that some of my friends who are very passionate about the environment have told me they feel frustrated by the way that the debate on global warming is couched. And I think what they mean by this is that often in the media, There's an emphasis on um, private driving, for instance, like people buying Hummers and SUVs, when in reality, maybe, I'm not sure if this is true or not, global warming may stem more from commercial agriculture or from power plants or from industrial manufacturing. So I was wondering if, first of all, you guys could give us a sense of a rank ordering of the sources of of global warming and and what is relatively important and relatively less important. The second question is um, one of political priorities, which is that, in, in light of that, that, the answers to that first question, um, and also what is politically feasible, it seems like having an emphasis on trying to get people to drive less or to buy carbon offsets when they fly may not be a very feasible way to actually combat global warming. It may be more feasible to have a carbon tax, um, or it might be more feasible to uh, raise emission standards. I, I don't know. I was just wondering whether you guys feel like there is certain low-hanging fruit when it comes to the global warming issue and whether the, certain other issues that we might concentrate on more are actually less feasible to, to deal with in reality.
2: The two excellent questions which deserve an hour uh, symposium themselves, <laughs> and, but I have to ask for a very brief answer from our panelists.
4: Quick answer. Uh, 50% is generated by four countries, the United States, the EU, uh, China, and India. Uh, in terms of the low-hanging fi- uh, fruit, uh, the, ba- the easiest is, is power, power plants. Uh, the second is industry, particularly steel, cement, some of the uh, aluminum. Uh, the third is uh, buildings. The fourth is transport, and the fifth is to prevent deforestation, particularly around the uh, uh, equator. So that would be uh, the Amazon, uh, Borneo, uh, those kinds of places so.
2: Great, and we thank you, sir, very much. I apologize uh, to all of you. Um, It's a phenomenal panel. You'll have a chance to talk to them uh, in the course of the day. It's my honor to be up here. One, uh, energy efficiency, automobiles, appliances, uh, the buildings we live in and uh, and uh, work in. We have to make them more efficient. Number two renewables. We have to invent a new generation of technologies that are uh, uh, carbon-free, that we can uh, fuel our economies. Third, we must find a way of capturing the carbon that is generated from coal-burning plants. That's 30% of all CO2. We have to find a way of doing that and sequestering it. Uh, We need your help. (laughs) President President Kennedy said that uh, uh, God's work on Earth must truly be our own. That is your challenge for your generation. Thank you all so much.